And I'll invite Will up the front, and he's going to read the Bible for us. If you haven't got a paper Bible, I encourage you to get a paper Bible. They're, uh, they're really good. And I think there's some sort of gear change in your brain when you pull out your smartphone that doesn't happen when you pull out a paper Bible that's helpful. All right, so Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 to 14. Uh, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfilment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession, to the praise of his glory. Six to eight, are they gone? They're gone, excellent. <clears throat> All right, so keep your Bibles open. Ephesians chapter one, I'm, ex I'm really excited about doing Ephesians, it's so good. It's, uh, it's brilliant and it's going to take us right through into Christmas and actually a bit past Christmas, uh, which is good. Christmas isn't far away, seven weeks I think. Um, I think Ephesians is going to be great for just re-energizing and reinvigorating us coming out of COVID. We're kind of, we'll always have COVID with us, but you know, the whole lockdown stuff and the restrictions and things, I think uh, this will be really good to re-energize us. It's been a really difficult year for everyone. Um, it's been a really difficult year for Australians and probably least of all Australians. Um, actually, if you look around the world at the moment, it's still very much kicking on in the Northern Hemisphere sadly, and we need to pray about that. Um, but right now, we've got Paul's stunning letter to this church in Ephesus. Um, I was doing a bit of research into great lovers of the book of Ephesians, and Dr. John McKay uh, came up. This is, this is him on the uh, screen behind me. He says that Paul's letter to the Ephesians was absolutely life-changing for him. He says, to this book I owe my life. He goes on to explain that in July 1903, at the age of 14, he experienced, through reading Ephesians, a boyish rapture in the Highland Hills of Scotland and made a passionate protestation to Jesus Christ among the rocks in the starlight. 
And his own account of what happened to him is this. He says, I saw a new world. Everything was new. I had a new outlook, new experiences, new attitudes to other people. I loved God. Jesus Christ became the center of everything I had been quickened. I was really alive, he says, through reading this letter. How exciting is that? And my prayer for you guys is you'll have at least a similar experience of what John had in the Highland Hills at the age of 14 as he read Paul's letter to the Ephesians, that God will work in you, that it will be a great encouragement to you, that you will see Jesus afresh and be spurred on by him. Please join me in prayer that God might do that work in us by his Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Loving Father and Almighty God, we thank you so much for your goodness and faithfulness and for your servant, the Apostle Paul, who penned these truths about you all those years ago and sent it to the church in Ephesus for them and then also for us here many years later sitting in Gledswood Hills. Lord, we pray and ask that you'll work in us by your Holy Spirit and bring to life in us these words that you want us to hear through the letter to Ephesians. Lord, may we grow deeply in our love for you, our joy in living for Jesus, our joy in serving one another as we study this part of your word. We pray and ask of you, please, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so Ephesians was written by the Apostle Paul in around 61 to 62 AD, which means it was, it was quite early after uh, Jesus had ascended, only 30 years or so later, which is really soon, actually, kind of after the events, historically speaking. The city of Ephesus still exists today on the west coast of Turkey, not quite on the coast as it once was, inland a tiny bit. So you can see it's up the top in the left-hand corner there, and Jerusalem, to give you a point of reference, is down in the bottom hand, right, right-hand corner with the big circle around it. So clearly, by now, by 61, 62 AD, almost 30 years after Jesus' ascension, the word has gone out from Jerusalem as it was intended to do, as you read about in Acts chapter 2. The word spread, and Paul has taken God's word, God's gospel, uh, north and then west up to Ephesus. By God's Holy Spirit, the word has spread. Has anyone been to Ephesus? Hands up, anyone? Will has been to Ephesus, anyone else? No. Was it great? Do you recommend it? Yes. Awesome. Well, I would love to go to Ephesus and have a look. Um, Zooming in a little bit on Ephesus now. Uh, This is the city, according to Google. The blue circle on the right is a famous amphitheatre that has a 24,000-seat capacity and it's more than 2,000 years old. And apparently, you can stand in the centre and without amplification, you can be heard at the back. Is that not true? Great sea views. (laughs) Excellent. Um, So, Ephesus was a really significant city. This is a massive stadium built so long ago, a really significant city in the first century. In Turkey, then Asia Minor, uh, every road was measured, I believe, by its distance to Ephesus. Now, the city is also home to one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, which is the left blue circle, the Temple of Artemis. Now, here's a modern reconstruction and 
bottom left is kind of what's left. Did you see the temple of Artemis? Not that much left? You didn't see the temple? Didn't see the temple? Okay. So bottom left is kind of what's left, but this is what it would have looked like or something like it. Um, about the size of a football field it was, 100 metres by 50 metres by 20 metres tall. This was built to house their goddess, Artemis. Here she is. Artemis is a goddess of fertility. It's thought the lumps on the front are all breasts fitting for a goddess of fertility, I guess. Um, so there you go, really significant city, really pagan city with a significant building built for their goddess, Artemis. Paul, the ex-Jew, now ex-kind of Judaizer, now turned Christian, knew that the gospel had to go to the whole world, so he got to work and he took it to Ephesus, a massive, significant, very pagan city. It was a masterstroke by Paul to take the gospel there. This was a significant place for the good news about Jesus to go. Paul went to Ephesus in about 52 AD and then he came back uh, later on and spent two and a half years there preaching the gospel. He started out in the Jewish synagogue until he got booted out after a few months and then he preached in lecture theatres to anyone who would come along and listen the good news about Jesus. And lots of people did. And lots of people put their trust in Jesus. In fact, Paul's preaching was so effective that the local statue, the Artemis statue maker, started to go out of business because people stopped worshipping Artemis and started worshipping Jesus. And there's an account in Acts chapter 19, verses 23 to 41. In 57 AD, they started a riot because of Paul, <clears throat> because of his effective preaching and because... They were losing trade buying these sculptures of Artemis. The gospel had a massive impact on this very important city. And Paul writes this letter from house arrest in Rome. He's chained to a Roman guard, which he also preached the gospel to, of course. And by God's grace and sovereign plan, Paul wrote this letter not only for the people in Ephesus, but also for you here today in Gledswood Hills. Now, try to imagine, imagine you were there in Ephesus in the church, okay, in the first century. Now, you've, you've read the Old Testament, you've got the Old Testament, maybe you became a Christian recently through Paul's preaching and there's a mix of Jews and Gentiles in your church. You don't have any of the New Testament, okay, you don't have it, it hasn't been compiled yet, it hasn't been put together. You're depending on what you've been taught and you're depending on passing that word uh, to and from one another, as we're encouraged to do, and they receive a letter. Who gets excited about getting letters in the mail these days? Like a handwritten letter. How often does it happen? I love getting a letter in the mail. It's so rare. Here they are in Ephesus, and they've received a letter from Paul. Paul had been there sometime earlier. He'd preached to them for two and a half years. They loved Paul. They loved the church that he'd started. And now they get this letter. And they're like, wow, and this is the letter is the letter to the Ephesians and it would have been read out and they just would have been sitting there on the edge of their seats with bated breath as Paul's words of encouragement were read out to them. If you read Corinthians, that's Paul kind of doing a lot of correction in the church because there's issues going on in the church. This letter is just pure encouragement to a great, healthy church like ours. It's brilliant. I think we take God's word for granted 
And I think it's almost impossible not to when you have so many, so much access to God's Word, easy access, you can get it on your phone, you might have a few different copies of the Bible sitting on the shelf. We take it for granted that we have God's Word, but imagine being in Ephesus then and you wouldn't be taking Paul's letter to Ephesians for granted at all. Try to imagine and feel the tension and excitement as Paul's letter was first read out to this church that loved him. Verse 1. Paul, this is who it's from, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. This is God's chosen apostle. This letter comes with the authority that he has been given and is worthy of our attention, demands our attention. To God's holy people, the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you, from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Every one of Paul's letters opens with grace and peace. In fact, every one of Paul's letters closes with grace as well. Imagine the excitement for Paul as he pens this letter back then to his beloved church in Ephesus from house arrest. Just being in house arrest isn't going to stop him from growing the church and encouraging people, something trivial like house arrest. Um, he's so excited to share the riches of God's grace with the church in Ephesus that actually verses 3 to 14 are one long sentence in the original Greek. If you look in your Bible there, there's actually no punctuation. And the people who put the Bible together for us, the, in my case is the NIV uh, people, they thought that I couldn't handle one big long sentence and that you couldn't handle one big long sentence. And they're probably right. Um, but it was just this long, excited, kind of spilling out, spewing forth of praise and encouragement and excitement about what God has done for his people, that he wants the, Ephes- the people in Ephesus to hear. Last week, as John interviewed Steve, kind of just before he interviewed Steve, there was this long spilling forth of praise and thanks for Steve which is good and right and understandable, and I I echoed everything John was saying, and for a moment there, I didn't think he was going to stop in his praise and thanks of Steve, and it was brilliant, it was beautiful, and I loved it, and and this is similar to that, there's this, Paul is just, he's so excited, so thankful for Jesus, he just can't contain himself, he's not interested in pausing to take a breath or start a new sentence, it's just long outbursts of praise and thanks for who God is and what he's done and what it means for the people in Ephesus. So verse 3. Verse 3 is kind of like a heading for the sentence stating this wonderful reason and necessity to praise. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. As Christians, our blessing isn't earthly, is it? It's not health, wealth and happiness. We all get sick, we've got varying degrees of wealth and happiness, well, it comes and goes, doesn't it? That's not the blessing. The blessing's heavenly, it's spiritual, it's in Jesus. It's far greater than any earthly blessing and it's out of reach of the disease and the decay and the death of this earthly world. It can't be taken away. This is God's grace and peace to you. I wonder 
can we sometimes be strangers to the concepts of grace and peace? Do you struggle to receive and give grace? Do you struggle to find peace? I know I struggle to accept grace sometimes, to be gracious to others. I struggle to find peace. I can find stress and anxiety like that, no worries. Peace, that's harder to find. And do we realise, as a Christian, do you realise this grace and peace is for you? It's to you. Do you realise that? Or do you feel unworthy of God's grace and peace? Do you feel like you lack worth? In God's eyes, this grace and peace can't be for me. Couldn't be. I wonder if in your life you're sometimes, or often, not acknowledged and appreciated as much as much as you think you ought to be by others. Perhaps at work. Perhaps at home, you don't feel like you have as much worth as you ought to have. From your family, perhaps in your marriage or in your church, you don't feel like you're of great worth. Well, let's look, have a look at what these blessings are to us this morning and see how valuable you are to God. What is your worth in God's eyes, according to Ephesians 1? Let's answer that question. I've made a timeline on the screen of God's spiritual blessings to us to try to help us. Now, as we go through... Notice that everything we have and everything we are is because of and through and towards Jesus. In these 11 verses, sorry, in these verses, verses 3 to 14, 11 times it says we're in Christ. Our blessings are in Christ, in Him. Every spiritual blessing in Christ. He chose us in Him before the creation of the in His sight. Look out for it as we go through. 11 times it says in Christ, in Him, uh, as we go through. So verse 4, he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Who has chosen you? Who desires to know you, befriend you, have an intimate relationship with you? Who is it? I wonder, was this you at school (laughs) before a game of support? Were you sometimes last to be picked? Look at that poor little guy there. Oh man, he's having the worst day ever. I wonder if that was you. The poor person was last to be picked for the sport, just wanted to be picked. I wonder, is there other moments in your life, if you think about relationships, you think about job applications, um, things like that, you, you want to be chosen by people that you sometimes aren't. You're not chosen. You're chosen last. You're not chosen at all for the team or for the job or for the promotion or for the whatever well who has not only chosen you for his side but adopted you as his son his heir traditionally the son was the heir men and women alike the bible tells us are heirs co-heirs with christ before the creation of the world he chose you not because We're good-looking or super sporty or super smart or super cool. God didn't look at you sitting in your home in Gregory Hills or Harrington Park or Gledswood Hills or Catherine Park or Camden South or wherever you live. He didn't look at you and think, you know what, 
top bloke. That's a great gal. I'm going to choose them. They look like they're all right. I want them for me. No. You didn't exist. The world didn't exist when God chose you. What can you contribute before the creation of the world? (laughs) Verse 5, it says, In love he predestined us. Your worth is in your God-given being, not in what you can do for God. Are you of great worth? Yes, you are. You were chosen by your heavenly Father. You might say, well, now that I've been born and now that I've had a chance to live, well, I've, you know, I've messed it up. I've done all sorts of things wrong. I've fallen short. How can God accept me with all my flaws and failings now? How can he continue to choose me? I wonder if many Christians, you feel like, yeah, I've had my sins forgiven, but they're kind of they're still there. You know, like a whiteboard and you just sort of roughly wipe it off and you can sort of still see. I think we think that's what our sin's like. Yeah, it's sort of wiped off, but it's sort of still there for God. But that's just not reality. Verse 5, In love he predestined us, chose us before the beginning of time, for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and his will. God does not change his will and it was his pleasure, his joy, his great desire to choose you knowing full well that you would make mistakes, that you would sin, that you would fail, that you would error. But it was his good pleasure and his good will to choose you despite that reality which he already knew about was coming in the future. Think about this. Before... Before the beginning of time, God had you in mind. Look at verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. I love that sentence. The riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. How good is that? There it is again, in Him, in Jesus. God redeemed us and forgave us according to the riches. I'll say it one more time. Riches of His grace that He lavished on us. What a great word, lavished. We don't use that enough, lavished. What does it mean? Lavished means heap or pour or deluge. Give generously. It's not stingy. Lavish. There is no record of your sins. No record. They're done. They're gone. They're paid for. They're wiped out, blotted out, removed from you in Jesus. You're not a dirty whiteboard. Spotless and clean. You are in God's sight through Jesus' blood. Jesus has redeemed and forgiven. There's no condemnation from God, therefore there should be no condemnation from you either of yourself. God does not condemn you, you shouldn't either, if you're in Christ. The only one that wants to remind you of your sin is Satan. 
That's his job. That's what he does. Tries to remind you of your sin. You're bad. You're terrible. Look how, oh, look, you've done it again. Same sin. You're not worthy of God's love. That's the accuser at work. Satan is the one who brings back guilt and condemnation. There is no guilt and condemnation in Jesus, friends. But we still have doubts, don't we? Really? What, do those passage, what does this passage say to those who have doubts? Let's read on remembering that God had you in mind before the beginning of time. God had you in mind as he sent Jesus to the cross as well. Think about that. Look at what God has done for us by his Holy Spirit. Verse 13. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who's a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. It's guaranteed. What's God done for us? He's declared our sins cancelled. This is a guarantee from God. This isn't a guarantee from a small business that you just bought your vacuum cleaner from that could go broke any day. No, this is a guarantee from God, the God of the universe. He assures us and he seals us with his Holy Spirit who comes and dwells in our hearts, reminding us, assuring us, sins cancelled. That's how certain you can be, friends. You are sealed, guaranteed by the indwelling Holy Spirit. Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you, said Jesus in Matthew chapter 28 to his disciples. As he ascended to heaven very soon, he sent the Holy Spirit, his Spirit, to be with them. Jesus is with you. As you go about your life, you are sealed, guaranteed. Your inheritance is assured. When our kids were littler and we dropped them off at preschool and we'd say to them, Mummy and Daddy won't be with you today, but who will be with you? And they'd say, Jesus. That's right. Jesus is always with you. So you need not be afraid. Friends, you need not be afraid. Ever. Jesus is with you. Always. To the very end of the age. You are never alone. Christ is with you. And not only that, but look again at verse 8. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure. It's a mystery because we can't know it without God revealing it. According to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. God's let us in. He's given us the skinny on his cosmic plan as his people. And that ought to give you two things in life which everybody else in the world lacks. Assurance of eternal life. You know exactly what's going to happen to you after you die. No fear in death. I'm not going to deny there's a fear of dying. I talked to a lady once in my old church. She was a palliative care nurse and she said, Christians fear dying. It's not a pleasant process, but they don't fear death. They know it's on the other side of the door. Assurance of eternal life and purpose in this life, great purpose in this life, two things people who don't follow Jesus can't have. 
You know that Jesus is risen. You know he will return. You know the great reason for which we now live is for him. School is important. Uni is important. Work's important. Family's important. But all these things, including family, are actually earthly and temporary. Eternal life in Jesus is of utmost importance and everything else must submit, not supersede that truth and that importance. We have a God-given purpose to live holy lives for Christ and a God-given purpose to invite others to receive the forgiveness and redemption and inheritance that is already ours. God has led us into the mystery of his will. You know the big plan for this world. At the moment, our world is very broken, obviously, and spiritually. More than COVID and tensions in the US, more than terrorism in North Africa and the Middle East, which the news seems to have forgotten, people are enemies of God, rejecting him. They need to hear the good news of the gospel. And I think now more than ever, people are open to the good news of the gospel. Free forgiveness and eternal blessings through faith in Jesus. (laughs) It's the best news ever. That's why Paul couldn't contain himself. We receive every spiritual blessing, not because of anything we do, but simply through believing in Jesus. Blessed lavishly. That's newsworthy news. God had you in mind before the beginning of time. God had you in mind at the cross. God had you in mind at your birth. And now during your life, God has you in mind. Think about that. Unbelievably, there is more. God has you in mind for the future. God's got great plans for you after you die to go to be with him forever. The Christian life requires patience and perseverance and God gives us the Holy Spirit to help us with that. God doesn't promise peace and prosperity on this earth in this time. But that is for the life to come. Co-heirs with Christ. Co-inheritors with him eternally we're in heaven a long time we're actually on earth a short amount of time we can look forward to and we ought to look forward to the life to come and live our lives in the context of the life to come imagine you and your family won a year long round the world covid doesn't exist round the world first class tour of all the places you want to go and first class all the way, all expenses paid, you can eat what you want, go where you want, do what you want. Like I said, pretend it's not a COVID world at the moment. For some reason, we get really hung up on the airport lounge as Christians. Imagine you're in the airport lounge, you're just about to leave, you decide to grab a bite to eat before you board the first class seats and the first class plane. And How much would you care what you had for lunch in the airport lounge? I mean... Whatever, just grab a bite of Macca's, whatever. We're going first class, baby, for the rest of the year, right? Eat whatever. Who cares how comfy the seats are? Doesn't matter. You're about to... Now, imagine you receive the ticket, the free ticket to this overseas trip in the airport terminal, kind of on the way. On the way in, there's a person there who said, I've got these tickets first class around the world. Here you go. I've got unlimited amount of tickets, right? 
wouldn't you go and tell everyone, hey, there's this guy, he's handing out tickets around the world, first class, unlimited, you can come along with us. Wouldn't you go and tell everyone else? Now, shame on you if you're thinking no, because they might mess up my holiday. <laughs> well, they've got noisy kids and there's nights next to me on the plane. Shame on you. Some of you were thinking that, weren't you? Well, I'm not going to tell them, I'm going to keep it to myself. Tisk tisk. You'd tell people, right? Like, you'd tell everyone. Hey, there's this guy handing out around the world first class, free. Go get one. That's the Christian life, is it not? But we, somehow we get hung up on the airport lounge and how comfy the seats are and what we're going to have for lunch. And we've got this amazing blessing of heaven coming. Why don't we tell more people? And invite more people along and tell them it's free. All you got to do is trust in Jesus and accept the gift. I'll tell you why. We get busy and we forget. We forget to remember God in the busyness of life. We ask, what difference can all this excitement on Sunday make for me on Monday when I'm back in the grind? It's life as normal. Let's look again at the Bible timeline. Let's not forget what God has done for us, written down for us here by Paul, who's so excited. Chosen before the beginning of the world, destined for eternal life, saved at the cross, redeemed, forgiven, shown the mystery of God's will, co-heirs with Christ in heaven for all eternity. That's who you are in Jesus. That's what you have from God through Jesus. What difference will this make tomorrow? Massive. If you accept all this as true and remember it tomorrow morning and Tuesday morning and Wednesday morning, realize what God has done for you. Find immense joy in who you are and the Holy Spirit. You are of infinite value to God. You might not have got picked for the team or the job or whatever, but you are of infinite value to God. So live for the praise of his glory. One of the great American preachers of our time says this, God is most glorified in me when I'm most satisfied in him. Remember what God has done for you. Find your satisfaction in that, in him. Our job is not to think more of ourselves than we ought or less of ourselves than we ought. Our job is to think about ourselves less and think about God more and what he has done. Why did God do this? Why has he done this for us? It seems lavish. Well, there's two reasons given for us in the text. <clears throat> Verse 5 says, In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure. And it says it again in verse 9. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ. Why did he do it? It was his pleasure, his joy to lavish riches upon you. Isn't that wonderfully simple? You bring joy to God, the creator of all things. That's why he did it. Secondly, that we might live for him. 
that we might live in the light of his blessing, his way, and bring him great joy and glory as we do so. We bring him glory as we live for him and make Jesus known. That glorifies God. Verse 6, to the praise of his glorious grace. Verse 12, for the praise of his glory. Verse 14, to the praise of his glory. He chose us to be his and be holy and blameless in his sight for the praise of his glory. As we go out in the world living for him, like him, making him known, he's glorified. It brought him joy and pleasure and he longs for you to understand that, that you might live to his glory. That's it. Your story began before the beginning of time and it continues into eternity. Take who you are, made by God, and turn it back to him in praise with your life. Grace and peace is yours from God. Unless you haven't yet put your trust in Jesus, in which case, grace and peace is held out for you from God. It can be yours if you would but trust that it's true and accept this wonderful gift from God. Let's pray. Loving Father and Almighty God, thank you. You are extravagantly good to us. We know we don't deserve it. And we thank you that even though we don't deserve it, you have been pleased to abundantly bless us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Lord, we pray that we might return your goodness and grace to us in praise and glory and in a great desire to make you known to the world. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to continue in prayer. Please join me. Let's pray. Loving Father and Almighty God, we thank you for the abundance of spiritual blessings and riches that you're delighted to lavish upon us. We thank you for forgiveness of sins through the blood of Jesus. We thank you for redemption from hell and judgment into heaven and everlasting relationship with you. We thank you for adopting us as your children and making us heirs of your inheritance. We thank you for the hope of eternal life in Christ and with Christ forevermore. And Lord of the harvest, we weep and we mourn the thousands upon thousands in our community who are like sheep without a shepherd, destined to face your righteous judgment without Christ, without the wonderful blessings that you desire to lavish upon them. Lord, please work in them that they might receive your good gifts and enjoy the wonderful hope and joy of following Jesus. May we as a church set aside time these coming months to meet our neighbours and friends, to share the good news with them, to invite them along to church at Christmas. Make us bold to proudly share the good news about Jesus. Lord God, we bring before you refugees. Help us to remember those who today and tonight will go to sleep unfed and unwelcome. Strangers in foreign lands, people who have fled for their lives and are far from their homes. We lift up to you those who are escaping persecution and conflict, who have fled death, torture or ruthless exploitation. Please comfort them and provide shelter and food for them. We ask you to strengthen aid agencies who seek to support them 
and open up pathways to support them being blocked by COVID. Gracious God, we pray with the persecuted church in Egypt, please replace the hearts of stone with hearts of flesh in their oppressors, in those who reject your name in Egypt and across the world where the church is persecuted severely. We particularly pray for those who are Islamic in these lands, who are extremists and persecuting Christians, that you will show them that their God is false and that Jesus is a loving Lord and the only way to be saved. Strengthen and embolden the Christians in Egypt to stand up for Jesus when the inevitable persecution comes. Even if it should mean their life, Lord, may they not disown the name of Christ. Give us great hearts of compassion that we might continue to pray diligently for our brothers and sisters in Nigeria and around the world who are persecuted severely and who desperately need to be upheld in their faith in prayer. Thank you that the gospel is growing in some places like Iran and even China. May this continue under your power and provision. Lord, please bust us out of our comfort that we might be willing to suffer and sacrificially serve for the name of Christ. We might be willing to go beyond our comfort zones to share the gospel, that your name might be glorified in us. And in your almighty name that we pray, Father, Son and Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen.